Welcome to the latest lung cancer podcast from VJ Oncology. In this episode, we'll be covering the latest updates in EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. A large proportion of patients with non-small cell lung cancer have EGFR mutations, which make it a good target for new therapeutics. We'll be hearing about some of the latest updates in clinical trials for these patients. There have also been recent advances in understanding the possible causes of this type of lung cancer. At ESMO 2022, we spoke to Professor Charles Swanton from the Francis Crick Institute about the role of air pollution in the development of EGFR mutant lung cancer. We've been interested in understanding the origins of lung cancer in never smokers. Um, We've known for at least two decades there's an association between environmental pollution in the context of these PM 2.5, these 2.5 micron and below particles, and lung cancer risk. But that was only an association. There was a lack of functional mechanistic data to prove causation. So we, we tackled this problem in a number of ways. First of all, we looked at the incidence of EGFR mutant lung cancer across the planet in various countries, Korea, Taiwan, um, and uh, through Public Health England data in, in England. And we um, showed that there's a correlation between rising PM2.5 levels and um, uh, incidence of EGFR mutant lung cancer. So that substantiates what's already known, but specifically looking at EGFR mutant disease, commonly seen in never smokers. We then um, took a mouse, took three mouse models where we um, attempted to, to induce an EGFR or KRAS mutation in the epithelial tissue. And then three days later exposed mice to diesel particulates, PM2.5 particulates, um, three times a week for three weeks. And at the end of the experiment, roughly about week 10, we harvested the mouse lungs and we found more tumors um, in a dose-dependent manner um, of PM2.5s in, in, in mice exposed to pollutants compared to those not with saline control. So I think that tells us that there's clearly a promotion effect going on. The question is, how does this happen? Um, and what we found through a series of experiments is that pollution exposure in mice and humans results in release of a number of cytokines, one of which is interleukin-1-beta. Of course, we were alerted to that because of the prior canicumumab cantos trial, which showed a reduction in lung cancer incidence, um, new lung cancer incidence with canicumumab. We thought, well, this is you know, rather coincidental. So we looked into it in more detail. IL-1-beta is being released by the macrophages, by the epithelial cells, we think. And um, that stimulates a sort of, we think, the transdifferentiation of a small population of cells in the lung into a progenitor state. But on its own, it, it won't proliferate competently. If, however, that original cell that begins the transdifferentiation process harbors a mutation in EGFR or KRAS, off it goes and forms a tumor. So um, the question is then, where do these mutations come from? Um, and the answer is um, they, they occur as a natural process of aging. So you don't have to invoke um, a tobacco exposure or a direct mutagen. It, it's just a function of aging. As you get older, you get more of these mutations. So um, what does that tell us about tumor initiation? If we think about the main classical model of tumor initiation, um, it's based on environmental carcinogens driving mutations in DNA that result in expansion of a subclone due to a driver gene that's hit with a, a mutation. Take tobacco, C2A mutations in the classical G12C KRAS mutation is a prime example. The, the alternative model is one first proposed by Isaac Berenblum in 1947 that proposes a two-step model 
One, you need the initiator. Two, you need the promoter. The initiator is the mutation. The promoter is the, in this case, pollution. Now, the, the initiating step, um, obviously, is the mutation. Um, but that doesn't have to come from an environmental carcinogen. As I said, it's, it can be part of the natural process of aging. So I think our, our, our pollution work best conforms to that Isaac Berenblum model, recently substantiated by Alan Balmain and colleagues over the last decade and a half, um, who've um, really been pioneering work in this area and showed actually that 17 out of 20 environmental carcinogens um, in mice don't induce DNA mutations. So this may be a, a more common um, mechanism of tumor initiation than perhaps we once thought. And actually, it's just interesting to note that, you know, Isaac Berenbrum did these experiments in 1947, um, you know, uh, 75, 80 years ago. And uh, to some extent, perhaps we've been, uh, how can I put it, um, slightly distracted by the tobacco carcinogen DNA mutation origins of cancer, which clearly, are, you know, happen. Um, and perhaps ignored some of these earlier experiments where, you know, which might be more applicable to the majority of environmental carcinogens. I, I don't know, I guess time will tell. We also heard from Dr. Amelia Lim of University College London on the role of air pollution in the development of EGFR mutant lung cancer. How we got interested really in this topic was because we were interested in lung cancers and never smokers. So when you first think about lung cancer, you often think it's related to smoking, but there are at least 15% of cases actually that occur in never smokers. What's unique about lung cancers and never smokers is that they tend to be um, characterized by very few mutations compared with smoking lung cancer. So we were wondering what sort of risk factors could work on this context of very few mutations to drive cancers. We explored several risk factors and we found that actually one of them was air pollution that was associated with lung cancer incidence, in particular EGFR mutant lung cancer incidence, which is common amongst never smokers. So this got us thinking a little bit more about how we could explore this. Perhaps we're thinking um, that air pollution, instead of inducing tons and tons of mutations, could actually work on pre-existing mutations. You might just have a single mutation in a nascent clone, but you might get a carcinogen like air pollution that comes by and creates this conducive environment for the cancers then to grow. So we started to explore this hypothesis. In our lab, we have some mouse models with pre-existing mutations in EGFR and KRAS. And when they were exposed to air pollution, we see that the number of tumors and size of tumors actually increases in a dose-dependent manner, suggesting that air pollution could indeed work in this mechanism. So that's in mouse. But in human, what we did was we also started to look at some of our normal lung tissue samples to see if we indeed have any of these um, pre-existing mutations. And we do see actually in about 16 to 19% of our normal lung tissue samples that these mutations in EGFR do exist, suggesting that they're present there for air pollution to act on. We also correlated the number of mutations that we see in normal tissue with age and see that there was a correlation, suggesting that you probably get these mutations um, due to an aging process rather than a carcinogen. And it's the carcinogen that comes later on then to actually drive the expansion of these little clones into a full cancer. At ESMO 2022, Professor Sanjay Popat of the Royal Marsden Hospital gave us an update on the Phase 3 Adara trial investigating osimertinib. 
So here at the uh, World Lung Cancer Congress 2022 in Vienna, uh, our group presented data on EGFR testing for uncommon mutations uh, using uh, retrospective analysis of our uh, lab's genotyping. Uh, outputs. We looked at the last 18 months of EGFR genotyping and uh, looking at exons 18 to 21, looking specifically for the EGFR uncommon mutations. Uh, we identified 45 patients during this period of time, meaning they're not that uncommon. Uh, and we looked to see which of these 45 mutations would have been picked up by uh, PCR-based assays such as COBAS or Odilla. And about 30% of these EGFR uncommon mutations would not have been picked up by uh, a PCR-based assay such as COBAS or Idilla. Uh, therefore, I think our data demonstrates that NGS is superior uh, to PCR-based uh, testing uh, for to identify EGFR uncommon mutations, and that may have clinical impact as many of the mutations were identified uh, clinically impacted on the decision-making for these patients. Also on the subject of osimertinib, we spoke to Dr. Ching Zhou of the Guangdong Lung Cancer Institute on the progression-free survival results from the Astris and Sinovo trials at WCLC 2022. Actually, this is also a very interesting uh, another trial uh, I presented in WCLC this year. Uh, also, I think uh, this is a, a large sample real-world study in global, including in China. So uh, I think this year I presented the uh, the, the results uh, in China in Chinese population. Uh, actually, this is a, a real world study, including a totally more than three thousand population, and all these population are EGFR mutation positive and resistant to uh, first generation or second generation EGFR TKI, and also find T790N mutation positive. And in this population, we gave the, uh, all the population with the third generation EGFR TKI or simertinib. And actually, we, uh, from the result from phase three clinical trial, R03, uh, actually the R03 have given us the, the result several years ago. And in from, uh, from R03, we have known the osimertinib is a standard treatment for EGFR mutation, T, EGFR mutation and T790M mutation after resistant to first and second generation TKI. And in, the, in this, in, the, in R03, that is a randomized controlled clinical trial. In that study, we can compare osimertinib versus uh, traditional chemotherapy and set up the osimertinib standard treatment status for this kind of population. But uh, we have this time, this is the first time for us, we can get the results, not from clinical trial, but from real world study. So this time I present the uh, results uh, from Chinese population. It is more than uh, 1,300 population. This is also a very large sample. And this time I showed the PFS result. Uh, in this Chinese population, more than 1,000 uh, advanced non-small lung cancer, well, we can see that the PFS for osimertinib is 11 months. 
So I think we can compare these 11 months to the study R03 I mentioned just now, the randomized clinical trial. In R03, the PFS of osimertinib is about 10 months. So I think the two results is, uh, is, is, is uh, quite consistent. So I think that means uh, not only in clinical trial, but also in the real world, we can get the same result for this population. So from this result, we can see the osimertinib is still the standard treatment for the uh, after resistance to first and second generation TKI and got the T790M mutation population. So I think maybe uh, in the future, we can also see the other uh, endpoint like uh, overall survival and other uh, results from this real world study. But so far, we can see the osimertinib is still also a, a standard treatment for this kind of setting. Dr. Hazel O'Sullivan of the Royal Marsden Hospital gave us an update at WCLC 2022 on the use of next-generation sequencing compared to PCR assays to identify uncommon EGFR mutations. So we reviewed the next generation sequencing database at the Royal Marsden Hospital Clinical Genomic Laboratory. We identified cases with EGFR mutations in exons 18 to 21, and we defined uncommon EGFR mutations as EGFR mutations in exons 18 to 21, excluding exon 19 deletions, LA58R mutations, T790M mutations, and EGFR exon 20 insertions. Between February 2020 and September 2021, 1,463 patients underwent next generation sequencing at our institution and um, 303 cases had EGFR mutations, 14% of these were uncommon mutations. We then assessed the um, frequently used assays, EGFR and um, COVAS, PCR assays, to assess what proportion of these uncommon mutations would be detectable with these frequently used assays. And we found that EGFR and COVAS would have missed 30% of the uncommon mutations detected in our population. Dr. Julia Roto of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute also discussed molecular testing at WCLC 2022. So when we think about molecular testing for EGFR, and the key thing is to make sure that it's done. So we catch every patient with an EGFR mutation so they can receive appropriate or most effective EGFR targeted therapy. It's especially important in the metastatic setting where we know this improves survival for our patients. That means that all patients with lung adenocarcinoma, which is metastatic, and selected patients with non-squamous uh, uh, non-small cell lung cancer should have testing. Now in the early stage setting, we also have new need for biomarker testing. So all patients with resectable 1B or higher lung cancer need to have EGFR mutant-based testing as well in this setting, and that's a change in the last year, but really important to perform so patients have the option to consider post-operative adjuvant TKI therapy. CFDNA is a useful adjunct to this form of testing, probably most useful in the metastatic setting, since we know that sensitivity or likelihood of picking up DNA shed is highest in patients with more advanced disease. But I hope it will also begin to play a role as we think about our early stage patients as this sort of technology improves over time. Finally, at NACLC 2022, Dr. Biagio Ricciuti of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute gave us an overview of the current treatment landscape of EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. In uh, lung cancer, uh, over the last uh, five to six years, we really witnessed uh, tremendous advances in terms of personalized cancer medicine. Uh, of course, it's, it's not enough and we still need to do much better uh, for our patients, but we are really trying to uh, slice the pie of oncogenic drivers to identify 
individual subset of lung cancers um, that may be sensitive to specific targeted therapies. And uh, at the uh, North American Lung Cancer Conference and more recently at ESMO and ASCON World Conference of Lung Cancers, we really uh, saw many data that are converging towards uh, really, really um, uh, promising results in terms of targeted therapies for several cancer types. Uh, I think one of the most, I think, important uh, progress that we're, we're making is in the setting of the EGFR and mutant lung cancer that are experiencing um, uh, disease uh, progression following standard of care uh, osimertim. Osimertim is third generation EGFR inhibitors and is standard of care for most of patients with EGFR uh, common mutation. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, acquired resistance developed also to osimertinib. And it, for patients who experience this acquired resistance, we never really had uh, effective therapeutic options. Uh, but now we have uh, interestingly results from some new therapeutics. We have results from the uh, bispecific uh, MET EGFR antibody amirantanam. This has been approved for EGFR exon 20 insertion, but in combination with a new third generation inhibitor, lazertinib, uh, this combination is shown to be effective in patients who had received osimertinib and or platinum-based chemotherapy and have experienced disease progression to both of these treatments. Uh, so uh, the results are um, particularly promising and the response has been a significant fraction of patients and progression-free survival with this drug is also particularly encouraging. And so this is certainly something um, that uh, is particularly helpful in a setting where we didn't really have therapeutic options, but this is not the only uh, therapy that is being developed uh, for patients who experience disease progression on simertim. There are now also antibody drug conjugates that are being developed, and that the bottom of um, is one of these um, uh, compounds that also in the setting of simertim resistance has shown to produce response in a significant fraction of patients, and uh, we really waiting to see additional results for uh, later stage clinical trials with these drugs. Uh, there are also other combination therapies that are being evaluated. Um, we don't have time to touch on those, but this is just to mention that therapeutic landscape is expanding also for patients with EGFR mutation that have disease progression to standard care therapy, and uh, we really hope to further improve outcomes in this uh, population. Other important, I think, um, findings from the these latest meeting are the results that we are seeing in a specific type of EGFR mutation, which has been traditionally resistant to um, EGFR inhibitors, which is the EGFR exon 20 insertion lung cancer. Uh, this mutation has been associated with a, a very low response rate to first, second, third generation um, uh, EGFR inhibitors. Uh, but now uh, we have um, um, two drugs that are finally FDA approved for this specific uh, cancer type. And these are certainly two landmark studies. One is with amilantram, as I previously mentioned, which has shown to be affecting produced responses in almost 40% of patients with progression-free survival from seven to nine months. And also nobocetramine, which is a small molecule, uh, a small inhibitor of the uh, exon 20 insertion, which also shows response in the 30% range and progression-free survival in the seven to eight months range. Uh, again, this was a particularly refractory type of tumor uh, for which also immunotherapy has never been particularly uh, effective. And so these two drugs are really uh, two uh, uh, important options uh, for, for these patients. What's next is trying to identify 
Of course, biomarkers that can help also predicting where patients are more likely to respond to these new therapies in order to personalize treatments as much as possible. That's it for our roundup of the latest advances in EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. We have loads more interviews from experts in lung cancer and beyond on vjoncology.com, so why not explore? If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple, to make sure you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Twitter for all the latest updates in oncology. Stay tuned for more podcasts covering the latest updates in lung cancer and more with VJ Oncology.